Hey everybody, my name is Mike Lee and I would like to welcome you to the Mind Shift Lab. Each episode, we're gonna bring you a new guest to share exercises, strategies, and concepts to help you create an internal shift that will drive external results in business, the arts, sports, and life. Today, we are diving in with the one and only Molly Fletcher. As a president of client representation for sports and entertainment agency, CSE, Molly spent two decades as one of the world's only female sports agents. She was hailed as the female Jerry Maguire by CNN, and as she recruited and represented hundreds of sports' biggest names, including Aaron Andrews, Tom Izzo, and Doc Rivers. Molly has been featured in ESPN, Fast Company, Forbes, and Sports Illustrated. She's also the author of four books, Fearless at Work, A Winner's Guide to Negotiating, The Business of Being the Best, and The Five Best Tools to Find Your Dream Career. Molly currently serves on the Board of Directors for the Intercollegiate Tennis Association and the National Advisory Board for the Positive Coaching Alliance. She has a new TEDx talk out, Secrets of a Champion's Mindset, which we'll get into a little bit today. Molly, thanks for being here. Absolutely, Mike. It's great to be with you too, man. So let's get right into your story here. So people who don't or maybe are not familiar with you can have a little bit of context as to who they are are listening to. How'd you go from playing D1 tennis at Michigan State to the work that you are doing today? Sure. Well, I'll try to keep this a little bit tight. But when I when I graduated from Michigan State, I, as you said, I played tennis and then you know, I wanted to be in the business of sports, right? But I, I didn't know, Mike, honestly, what that meant, what that looked like, what that entailed, what the options even really were, per se. And so I told my parents, look, I'm going to move to Atlanta. I did some, you know, a little bit of research with some girlfriends. We were very unsophisticated, sitting in a living room, you know, sort of going, where should we? You know, Aspen would be fun, right? Like, where's Chicago, right? So we were... And then we sort of pinpointed Atlanta. I mean, the Super Bowl was coming. The Olympics was coming. There was a lot of you know, there's obviously pro team, sports teams, and I thought, wow, we could head down to Atlanta and, and I could see if I could find a job. And and one of my girlfriends had gotten a um, gig at ACOG, the Atlanta Committee for the Olympic Games, and so she she was pretty pretty sure she was headed down for that. So long story short, I, I taught tennis in Lansing, saved up, you know, about 2,000 bucks, moved to Atlanta, you know, stayed with my friend, on her couch until I could kind of find my way and, and find a job. I had no job when I moved down. My parents thought this is gonna last for two weeks, right? Like, what? <laughs> this is gonna be interesting. And um, long story short, I negotiated a deal to teach tennis at an apartment complex for in exchange for my rent, which was huge because I, I didn't have a lot of money and I had no job. And so that took away a massive you know, monthly nut. And then I kind of navigated my way through a couple different opportunities and then and then got an opportunity to work at a small agency in Atlanta. We had um, you know a couple NBA guys and uh, a baseball player and, and so I was brought in to go get endorsement and appearance deals for the guys that we had. Um, and, and, and then after a little while, I thought, how are we gonna grow? How are we gonna get more clients? And you know I talked about this in my recent TED talk um, that we released a few days ago actually and and so I, you know, I, I, I pitched our owner on, on the opportunity to try to grow client rep. 
And um, fortunately, he said yes. And and so I was kind of off and running, you know, and I was leaning on the fence um, at Georgia Tech trying to trying to wrangle, you know, 18-year-olds to come sign with us so that we could help take them into the, in, into the big leagues, hopefully, and through the draft process. So it just sort of evolved from there. Mike, I'll pause. I don't want to go too long, but... And then I wrote books and the, you know, when you write a book, people think you have something to say. And so then I started speaking. Awesome. Yeah. So you brought up something in this Ted talk about you, you went to your, your, your boss at the time with this agency with almost this sense of naivety, right? Sure. And you know, I, one thing that I've noticed about myself is looking back on on what I've done and, and kind of where I'm at today and, and how I'm approaching things is, is when I was younger, I had way more of this. I was so, so naive about things that it, it almost, it played to my advantage, right? Mm -hmm. it, it gave me a, this almost, I wouldn't say false sense of confidence, but I didn't, I didn't have all these other inputs about like, well, this could go wrong or this could go wrong. You're not, there, there was so much less judgment uh, about what I was doing. And I think, uh, you know, we lose, well, I have for sure. I've lost some of that along the way. And it's definitely been a, something that I used to my advantage in the beginning. And so sure. can you speak to that at all about like almost the power of that, the power of, of that nativity and then how maybe we can continue to keep that beginner's mind as we continue to grow? Sure. Yeah, and I mean, that's not uncommon, right? As we grow up, we get, you know, we, we see the world and, 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 you know, we get no some. And, you know, to me, no is just feedback, right? That's kind of what it is. But, you know, I think it's fear-based, right? I mean, it, we're, we're afraid of no, we're afraid of failure, we're afraid of what we might look like, we're afraid of rejection. I mean, it's, it's anchored, I believe, often in, in fear. And, um, you know, I think what we know as, grow, as we grow up, as we get older, and, and we know as human beings is that, you know, curiosity creates chances, right? Curiosity creates choices. And so, uh, you know, my advice and, and my thoughts on that is the more just curious we can be. I, I, in, in my podcast, Game Changers, I, one of the things I always hear my guests talk about is, is curiosity. It's this desire to up their game every single day. Right, like they're, they're, it's like I talked about in that TED talk. I mean, it, the winning is, is, is certainly rewarding, but it isn't what really fills them up. It's, it's, it's the journey. And so curiosity and our ability to, 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 to recognize that, that, that fear is often that thing that keeps us stuck in this place that we don't want to be. And what I saw over and over again with, with great athletes, I mean, I remember you know, I'll tell you, I remember when, when, when Smoltz, who was a client, John Smoltz, he, you know, he, he was a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. And I remember when, you know, John had been a starter for almost a decade, right? Like he was a stud. I mean, all-star games, Cy Youngs, all that. And then the organization needed a closer and they're like, Hey, would John step into this closer role? Well, like all his life, he'd been a starter. I mean, his arm was a total wreck. He played golf every day. He wasn't pitching. Right now, as a closer, you're, you're sitting in a different spot in the dugout, right? I mean, you, I mean you're, you're back, you know, at the back of the field. I mean, your routine's different. Your preparation's different. The physical's different. The mental's different. The, you know, there's really, it's, it, there's no off days like you have as a starter. It's a totally different role. But they needed him in that role. And, and, and John's a guy that's like, he's not afraid of failure. He, he, you know, he's a team guy. The team needed him in that role. Long story short, John stepped into that role 
when he didn't need to. It was uncomfortable. It was change. It was challenging. He absolutely could have failed. And by the way, like when we fail, maybe it's not everybody sees it. Right? When those guys fail, the world's watching and the media's ready to talk about it. And he stepped into that closer role and led the National League in saves that, that season, right, with 55 saves. I mean, John's one of the only guys in the Hall of Fame as one of the best starters and one of the best closers. So I think what keeps us stuck is this fear of failure, you know, this fear of no, and at some level, a lack of curiosity. And, and, and you know this, right? Like what we see with great athletes and coaches is, you know, they feel fear, just like all of us as business people do when we're walking into a big sales pitch, right? Or we're walking into a big meeting or a big conversation. They feel it too when they step on that line, right? But what they, what they know, because they've put in the reps for us as, as business people, because we prepare enough, they, they, they feel it, but they step right into it and, 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 and can, can execute certainly when maybe they're on the line with two, two seconds left or a coach has to make a tough call or a player's got the ball to close out game seven of a World Series. They put in the work so when that moment comes, they know they can do it. And I think we as business people can, can lean into some of that methodology and that mindset as well. Yeah, I think one thing that's unique about the best of the best is that they they balance this, as you would say, like this curiosity, this humbleness with confidence. And it's been interesting for me because I, I get caught up in the comparison game all the time, right? It's like there's always somebody else who's doing, doing more yeah. than me, doing something better than me. And yeah. trying to maintain this, this sense of this beginner's mind, being humble, but also having the confidence when I step out on, on the stage, right? Or whatever arena I'm in on that day. How, how can we do that? How can we balance this, this, this beginner's mind? This, I have the humbleness to know that I have not arrived, but yet the confidence to perform under extreme pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think one, one, I mean, there's, a, there's certainly a bunch there. I mean, I, I, to unpack, I mean, I would say at the, at the most basic level, it's a little what I talked about in the TED Talk, which is that you, you know, if we're chasing achievement, it's it's not really sustainable. Whereas if we're chasing this up your game, get better every day mindset, to me, that's a more sustainable approach to our, our ability to continue to want to get better every single day, right? So, so I think it's a mindset thing at some level that we have the mindset that, that we want to improve. I, I think, you know, you know, we also have to know why we do what we do, right? I mean, to get up every day and get after it, right? And be up, be inside of that grind a little bit. We've got to, we've got to know why we do what we do. And we've got to believe and want it enough that we can deal with the headwind, that we can deal with the speed bumps, right? I mean, you can imagine there, there was no women leaning on the fence at big league baseball games, right? I mean, there wasn't women on the range at PGA Tour events. There was nobody that looked like me. So it's like, you know, we have to make sure that we tell ourselves at some level the right story inside of these moments and we've got to want it bad enough that when we get pushback and we get that headwind, we want it bad enough that it's no problem, it's okay, right? We keep going instead of sort of retreating back. But that's why when you got to want it bad enough to deal with the challenges which, which are going to come and anything that's hard, there's going to be challenges. You, you got to want it bad enough that that you'll navigate those, you'll embrace them, you'll welcome them, you'll lean into them, 
you'll look at it as, as, as feedback, really, more than anything, and a chance to just pivot or adjust so that you can get better. Yeah, I think finding our purpose, finding our why is, is foundational. Right? The, sure. found, the, it, the why creates the vision, and that vision we can emotionally connect to. I think there's something a lot of people struggle with, right? It's like, what is my why? What is my purpose? What are some ways that, that you coach somebody to, to uncover that? Yeah, you know, I wrote a blog about this a, a while back. Um, but, you know, I think you've got to pull back and ask yourself some really difficult questions and sit inside of that for a minute and, and, and really ask yourself, you know, what do you want your legacy to be, right? Like, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? What do you want on your tombstone? You know, who's going to be at your 90th birthday party and what are they going to, what are they going to, what do you want them to say about you and who's going to be there? And, and so I think you've got to ask some of those questions and then sit inside of those answers and let it marinate a little bit. And, you know, we're, you know, we're walking into the holidays right now. I mean, what, a, what an opportunity to go there and, and think about those things and then say, okay, couple things, right? Like, am I waking up every day aligning the way that I'm showing up in my life with what I have identified as what I want my legacy to be, as what I want people to say about me at my 90th birthday party, as what I want my tombstone to say, right? Am I waking up every day and behaving in that way or do I need to make some behavior changes, right? But what I encourage people to do is ask themselves those questions, pull back, and then write it down. You know, I mean, you know, my, for me, my, mine is right up on my, on my wall, right? It's to lead, inspire, and connect with courage and optimism. So, so every opportunity that comes my way, I, I always filter it through that lens to lead, inspire, and connect with courage and optimism. If I'm about to have a tough conversation, if I'm about to, to, to say yes or to say no, I say, am I able to lead and inspire and connect with courage and optimism? And if I am, I'm going to say yes. If I don't think for whatever reason that scenario is real or there, then, then I may take a pass. So having that purpose statement, to me, it becomes a filter. You know, people talk in life all the time about balance, right? To me, you know, balance is a byproduct of clarity, right? I mean, and, and, and we live in this world where stuff's coming at everybody so much, so quickly, and it's hard right now. People are multitasking, people are drained, their energy is low. Uh, they're, they're working harder than ever, differently than ever, more than ever. And so it's incredibly important right now to have the clarity to know why you're here and why you do what you do so that you can have the courage and, and, and the clarity to say yes and no to things so that you've got your ladder leaning up against the right wall, right? I mean, there's a whole lot of people to get to the end of their life and go, dang, right? Like I missed it. I was chasing the wrong stuff and that breaks my heart. That's in part why I do the work that I do. What are some of those questions that we can ask ourselves that we can make maybe journal on? Sure. What do I want my legacy to be? What do I want on my tombstone? You know, what do I want people at my 90th birthday to say, say about me? Um, what are my deepest values? What matters most to me? Um, those are great starters, and I would just encourage people to lean into those and, and journal against those, and then you'll start to see some common threads. And then in a perfect world, you lift it up and write one, two, three, five sentences that, that just write them down. And then, and then put it on your desk and just read it every day and sort of, you'll tweak it. You'll play with a word here, a word there. You'll kind of play with it a little bit, and then you'll get to a place where, wow, 
man, I'm about to have a difficult conversation with my spouse and I can lean into this purpose statement to help me navigate that effectively. I'm about to have a tough conversation with an employee. I can lean into this to help me navigate it effectively. I'm about to decide whether to say yes or no. I'm about to decide whether to take a different job, right? I'm about to lean into that before those moments. And I think what people will find is it changes the way they show up, which is huge. Yeah, you brought up dealing with the, the burnout and stress that kind of surrounds us. How how can somebody who is a, you know, I think it's it's kind of ironic because it's the people that are these these high performing leaders that that tend to struggle with a lot of this the most. Like how do we how, there's a there was a study that came out a few years ago. that said that CEOs experience uh, depression at double the rate of the average um the average person, right? Which, yeah. which might seem shocking, but to me, it's not very shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cause it's like, we, we get, we just get caught up in this chase so much. How do we, how can we ask somebody who has, is living a purpose driven life and trying to accomplish all these things and lead with impact every day? How do we balance that with this burnout and stress and everything that is surrounding us? Yeah, for sure. Well, one is to get clear on why you wake up and do what you do every day, right? I think that can be helpful. Um, you know, I, I think it's also incredibly helpful to pull back and say, you know, I, I, what's interesting to me is that we live in a world where people manage their time sometimes more than their energy. And actually, I think it's in the reverse, right? I think we need to manage our energy more than our time. I, I remember sitting with Matt Kuchar, one of my my clients who plays out on the tour and, and, and we were sitting in the office and we were looking at his tour schedule for the following season. And what we did was we pulled back and we looked at the number of tournaments typically Matt can, can handle, right? So let's say it's 28 tournaments a season. And then we pulled back and said, okay, where have we played well? Where has he made cuts? Where did, what golf courses fit his game well? When are the majors? And we want to peek at the majors. And so we pulled back and said, Let's back into his tournament schedule based on the things that matter most, based on what's most important. And so we, we did that, right? And then I kind of left that agent business and I stepped into the real the business world, if you will, and I was like, this is fascinating. Business people just accept all these meetings and then they go to all these meetings. Half of them, they're like, why am I here? Somebody on my team could have done this or I don't even really think I need to be here or I, I could be at the next one. or, And then they get to the Wednesday at four o'clock meeting that is the biggest and most important business sort of pitch of the week. And they're completely fried because they've been running around like a maniac Monday and Tuesday. And I'm like, this is so interesting. So, because we want to make sure that we align our energy with what is most important. So for me, I wrote a book called The Energy Clock because of, to your point, right, Mike? Like I struggled and, 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 and certainly don't have it all figured out at all with, with this, right? I mean, I'd go so hard and then I would just, it'd be burning at both ends and at some level it's not sustainable. And it really became clear to me, it was years ago and, and, and we, my husband and I have three daughters, six, six and seven at the time they were, I think they were young. And we had three kids in 12 months. It's a whole nother story, man. So, so. Talk about stress. Three amazing angels, though. They are my absolute reason. They're awesome. And so anyway, they're young. I'm working as an agent. I'm running around. Or no, I was speaking at this time. And and I remember I had like a keynote in like Miami, and then I went to Dallas, and then I was in LA, and then I went from LA to Vegas. And 
And normally I try to just do two, maybe three a week at the most. And, and I, I remember getting on a flight and I think I was headed back, but I still had a couple more days before I saw our girls, my husband and I, and I remember sitting on this plane going, I am like exhausted. Like I am just, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm smoked, man. I, and wow. I mean, and I speak on peak performance and I don't have any energy right now. This is a problem. So anyway, I got home and, and I, and my mom had actually flown in that week to help my husband with the girls. And, and I remember getting home going, I got to figure this out. And that was when I put some systems in place in my calendar around how to better have awareness around, around making sure that I was intentional and clear. How many keynotes can you handle in a week, right? How many is too many? When's yes, when's no. And I created some systems and that was in part why I wrote the energy clock, which was what you alluded to, my own mistakes that I hope help offset other people from making them. Because I think at the most basic level, we have to pull back and say, what gives us energy? We've got to make sure we have some of those in our days. Working out, taking a walk, meditation, morning time, whatever that is, mini breaks throughout the day, we got to have those. We got to schedule them. I mean, we have to protect our calendar because if we don't decide where, where our energy goes right, then everybody else will. So we've got to figure out what those are. And then we've got to figure out what really, what's really exhausting. You know, you think about people right now who are burning it at both ends. What's really exhausting? What's burning you out? And how can you be more intentional about minimizing, delegating, or making sure that you in, are intentional about inserting things that really give you energy before you walk into these sort of drainers? Because we can't pour from an empty cup. So if you walk into them, you know, make sure that you've, your cup is overflowing so that when you walk out, you still got something in there, right? For the rest of the, for the rest of the moment. So those are a couple things that come up, but we got to align our energy with what matters most. We got to align our energy in our calendars and be intentional about protecting time. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful things that I did about 10 years ago was I was dealing with the same thing. And I, I looked at every task within my business and I said, and I, I broke them down into two categories. What gives me energy and what drains my energy? And instead of delegating tasks based on my strengths or things that I could do or couldn't do, I delegated it based on what gives me energy and what drained my energy. And so, I mean, just getting rid of a couple of those things that were draining my energy opened up my energy to be a better service for, for the the things that out were my strengths. And it was an incredibly powerful exercise to do. Uh, I have you. a question That's for awesome. you. Yeah, I think it was a, you know, it's definitely something that I would suggest any, especially if you're an entrepreneur running a, a smaller organization, it's a, it's a great exercise to do. Uh, yeah. I have a question for you around, you know, a lot of people in the, the personal development space talk about, you know, we don't, we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because of we we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do what we do. And I think uh you know I've experienced that you know I haven't forgot why I do what I do, but I definitely still am deal with burnout. Can you speak to that at all cuz I think you know for me it like it uh it almost created a sense of like shame around it, guilt around it where it's like well maybe I Maybe I really don't know what I, why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Can you speak mm -hmm. to that at all? As far as like, yeah, maybe you are living your life on purpose, but you can still experience burnout at the same time. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I think absolutely. I mean, to me, 
you know, why, why we do what we do is so important to allow us to navigate the tough moments. I mean, when I, when I think about my athletes, you know, they go through some tough rehabs, one, you know, year in rehabs, going down to the minor leagues to get back up to the big leagues, you know, losing their tour card if they're a tour player and having to grind it out on the mini tour for however long until they can and maybe get their card back. So you gotta want it bad enough to, to, to navigate the grind. Right, you've got to enjoy the grind at some level enough, because you know that that that, that where you're going is 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 gonna it's gonna make it all worth it, right? So, but you've got to enjoy that journey o- along the way, right? And 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 know why you're doing it. I, I remember, you know, when I'd have baseball players that were down in the minor leagues, one of the things that they would think about is, man, I, you know what, my dad and mom have given me so when when I can't wait to be pitching an all-star game and have my parents sitting right up there in that st- those stands, you know, or man, my my my, you know, whatever the story that they tell themselves is, but man, I can't wait, you know, to to be able to have put all this work in and and feel that feeling that that all that work uh, culminates. So knowing why we do what we do is 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 important to our ability to navigate the tough moments and there will be right and there will be and that's okay i mean to me the more that we recover from tough moments you know we hear a lot of people right now i mean resiliency is is a huge and important currency right now right i mean i had general mccrystal on my podcast i love how he talked about it you know he talked about how efficiency used to be the the currency that we need right efficiency I think it's adaptability now. It's resilience now. That's what we need more than ever is our ability. We have to be able to adapt and and our ability to recover fast. I mean, you look at the best athletes in the world, they're gonna bogey golf holes. They're gonna they're gonna miss cuts. They're gonna make a bad play call. They're gonna lose a game. They're gonna miss shots. But the best ones have a very short memory right? They're like, their memory's like a goldfish. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they don't, they don't, they don't enjoy the glory too long either probably, but they also don't, they, they don't dwell on those, those moments where it didn't work. They recover really fast. And we as business people can take a page from that book because we're going to have, you know, people, you know, salespeople, leaders, you're going to have tough days, tough moments, tough meetings, tough calls, tough clients got to be able to recover fast, reboot, so that you can show back up. What are some things we can do to, to do that? Yeah. To be more adaptable, to, to recover faster? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd keep that purpose statement front and center, right? Like, if you know why you do what you do, it helps you recover. It changes what you do. So, so number one, you got to know why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, that's huge. I, I, tell, I tell this story and, and I'll, I'll share it with you, right, Mike? So imagine if I laid a plank. You're in L.A. I'm in Atlanta. Let's say I laid a plank over top of, of two buildings right outside in, in L.A. And if I asked you to walk across that plank to the other side, that there was an 80% chance you'd make it, but there was a 20% chance you wouldn't. And if you didn't make it, it's over, right? Like no net, <laughs> it's over. Let's pretend it's a sunny day, whatever. The, the planks, you know, a foot and a half wide, it's an inch and a half thick, a million bucks. Would you walk across that plank? 20% chance you, you don't make it. And if you don't make it, it's over. Would you walk across that plank for a million bucks? No. <laughs> okay. What about, would you walk across it for three million bucks? Three million bucks? No. Okay. 
What if <laughs> I put the most important people in your life, people that matter the most to you in your life on the other side of that plank and the only way you could save them is if you walked across to the other side. Would you walk across then? I'd probably do it then. Right. So when we know why we do what we do, it changes what we do. So to answer your question, when we, when we have that front and center, that helps us recover. I think the other thing is we've got to go to the moments where we had some success, right? Like when I saw athletes struggle, I would, I would put like a quick highlight reel together for them. Just, just one, like if it was a baseball player, one unbelievable hit after another guys coming out of the dugout, right? The fans jumping up on their feet, them rounding the bases. I mean, just an awesome moment. If I had a guy struggling at the plate, I, I would, and then I would say, dude, just watch this right before tonight's game. W remind your, you know, athletes watch film to, to get that back in their mind of, yeah, I got it. I can do that. We as business people need film, our version of it too, right? So I have this box that has just great notes, great nuggets that I've gotten from clients and customers over the years. It's just awesome. And so I just peek at that, right? I have something on my computer called a smile file. I just drag and drop great emails, great stuff, great notes, whatever. And I put it in there. And if I need a little reboot and a little, I, I just jump into either one of those things and it kind of helps me reboot between that and my purpose statement. So people can, maybe that helps folks. I think the, the smile, what do you call it? Smile file smile and your, your, yeah, I think, uh, I kind of have, have some, whenever I'm going through something, I just go back and look at the testimonials that people wrote me and I'm like, yeah. there's no way that this person would have written this testimonial for me and put his name on the line if they didn't actually believe in what they were writing. Right. Yeah. And it's just crazy to, to think like we get, we get caught in these stories and everything all the time and like how much that, that feedback really can can reboot yeah. us re-energize us i sure. think uh the highlight highlight reel is also awesome that's a. Uh, is there anything else that, that you do that you you coach other people to to use any strategies from that standpoint you know i, I think i'm asking because i think these are the are you know so we because i think like as high performers we're so focused on the future that we right. forget the power of looking back and reflecting on how far we've actually come and, and just appreciating that part of the journey, right? Yeah, no, uh, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, you know, most successful, we don't really have much of a rear view mirror. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're always going and blowing. I, I think, you know, when, when we think about confidence, um, which, which in some part plays a role in our ability to be, to be resilient, right? To bounce back to, you know, I think it's important to remember that it doesn't come from your comfort zone, right? Like confidence doesn't come from sitting around and being super comfortable all the time. And so to me, it's important to, to continue to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to what sort of we call a stretch zone, right? Because that's when we really can grow. That's when we can evolve. And so the, the trick is, pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone, being uncomfortable, because comp you can't sit here and think your way into confidence. It doesn't work that way. Confidence is, is, is turning sort of thoughts and stuff into action, right? That's where confidence gets built. You can't think your way into it. You know, I, and, and that's why I think as a parent, to me, my girl's confidence gonna come, it's gonna come from them doing it, not me doing it, them doing it. And so, 
you know, athletes got get confident at the line with two seconds left in the seventh game of a World Series because they've done it. They've practiced it, right? They put themselves in that situation. So I would encourage people to continue to get to get uncomfortable. And then what you'll see is that little by little, you'll you'll recover. You'll execute inside of those moments. You'll deliver. You got to keep going, right? It won't always be perfect. That's okay. And and then the, the the trick is the fine line of marrying, and this is hard for me, it's hard for all of us, I think, marrying, pushing, getting uncomfortable, that driver kind of inside of people with being gentle on yourself, you know? And, and, and that's the interesting thing. I had Sue Bird, who's of course a legend in the WNBA on my podcast. I just interviewed her just before this and and we haven't well, we haven't aired it yet, but one of the things that I love that she talked about was she reminded, I don't always feel like working out, right? Like I don't always want to go and do it. And sometimes I'm 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 toward the end and I'm just done. I mean, I got after it, but I'm just done and I've got a little bit more to do, but I am just I'm exhausted. I've gotten after it for however many days and she said I'll mail it in. Now, the, the and this is one of the best players in in the WNBA and who's been there for a long time. She's 41 years old. I mean, it's kind of insane how long she's been out there. But but then I said to her, I said, right, I get it. I said, but, and so in other words, be gentle on yourself. That's kind of what she was saying. Like sometimes you just gotta give yourself a little bit of a break. But what I said is, but I bet the next day when you go in, you really get after it. You probably actually get after it a little bit more than you might have had you not done that. And she goes, absolutely. Right, and that's the trick, right? You can do that, what Sue described one day. Right, but you the the best of the best don't do that two days in a row, three days in a row, four days. They don't do it for a month in a row, a week in a row. Right? Probably they don't. Right? Because that wouldn't work. It wouldn't. They wouldn't be where they are. Yeah, I think that's uh, that is a fine line to walk because you you know Darren Hardy talks about this where it's like you know his in his book Compound Effect where. It's, it's these little things that we do every day. And it's a, the choices that we don't think matter that actually matter the most, right? It's the, the one decision to mail it in early. And it's like, okay, do I have the awareness to not do that tomorrow and not do that on Friday and, you know, really operate with that, that awareness? Because you can get caught in that game where it's like, oh, you know what? I went really hard Monday through Thursday. So yeah. today I'm going to take it a little easy. And then the next week yeah. it's like, oh, well, I got my buddy from college is in town, so I'm not going to put in the work today. And then, you know, my boss wants to go golfing, so I'm not going to do it this day. And then pretty soon it's like instead of five or six days a week that you're going hard, it's three or four days a week. And at the end of the year, that equals 150 days that you're going hard versus 250 days. And you add that up over the course of 10 years, and now you just lost a massive amount of time, right? And so yeah. that's that's a tough uh, a tough line to walk. Uh, speaking of getting out of your comfort zone, how do you how do you coach somebody to have the self awareness to know when they're just outside of their comfort zone versus being in over their head with something? <laughs> yeah, that boy, that's a good one. Um, I, I I mean, I think you know, we, we call them, you know, stretch zones and stress zones. So, I mean, a stretch zone, you're going to feel a little bit in your stomach. You're going to feel a little uncomfortable. You're going to feel a little wobbly in your knees, but you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to show up, 
okay, right? Like you're gonna, you're, you, it might, you might work. It might work sometimes. It might not work sometimes. But if it doesn't work, you're gonna learn something, and and um, you might have a little pit in your stomach. I think the stress zone. You know, we want to be careful that if it's debilitating us, right? If if we are injuring ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and we're not recovering from those moments, then to me, that is not an ideal scenario, right? Because we we if if we're debilitating ourselves because of the level of of stretch, and we're stretching it into stress, significant stress. Um, that we're not recovering from, um, that 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 to me would be when we want to throttle back, right? Which which can absolutely happen. I mean, that's how you know athletes get injured from time to time. I mean, all those things can happen certainly. And and I think th that's why self awareness, clarity around who we are, our gifts, our gaps, so important, right? Because we got to know that. I mean, I know that I could put in the work and I could get after it and all those things, but I'm 50 years old. I'm not playing in the NBA, right? Like, so, <laughs> we, period. I never was if I was 20 either, by the way. <laughs> but my point is, you know, we've also got to have self-awareness to know what's, what, what can we realistically execute against and, 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 and where do we need to also recognize some, some real boundaries. Yeah, yeah. So you've been around a lot of you know, some of the best coaches, right? Across college sports, pro, uh, you know, and I think one thing that great coaches do is they instill confidence in their players. And I think, you know, there's kind of, I feel like there's this myth around that, well, you can't make somebody be confident, but I think there's, there's this ignition point that can happen when coaches uh, really connect with and develop this relationship with a player that they can instill that level of of confidence with them. Maybe it's it's just to get them to another level, just bump them up a little bit to the point that they can really execute on something. Is there anything that you've seen from all the coaches you've been around that maybe some strategies that they use, or maybe they're not not strategies, but the, but things that they do in order to really uh, connect with and develop that confidence with some of their guys. Yeah, you know, I mean, you think about the Belichicks, right, and the Sabins, and, and, you know, Dabo when he, you know, he's struggling a little bit this season, but they have this, you know, next play mindset, right? I mean, next play, next play, next play. They also instill, you know, the importance of really being present, showing up, right? Saban says all the time, be where your feet are. I mean, they talk about the process more than the outcome because they talk about, the thing, all the things that you have to do. Saban's not talking about winning the national championship. He's talking about making sure that his guys, you know, get in the reps every day so that the, the, the result of that, because he knows the formula, right? He knows the formula. So he's just got to make sure he's living inside of the structure of that formula and then the outcome, right, will be there. I think, like we talked about, confidence doesn't come from thinking about it, it comes from doing it. So to me, the best coaches in the world they push you to a level right on the edge of that stress and stress. They'll take you to stress sometimes too, but they're going to push you there consistently so that you know you can do it, right? Like they'll, they'll go through a whole practice. You think it's over. You think it's over. You think you're done. And then he goes, now we're playing five on seven guys. Okay. So you're smoked. 
you're done. And now you're playing five on seven, but that's what they do. And then you do it and you perform and you execute and you, and you, and you do it. Boy, it's like you show up to the game when it's tough, when you're tired, when there's two, two minutes left and you've been going and blowing up and down the court the whole game. You did it in practice, right? Like, you know, you got that second gear. I mean, our bodies, our, our mind quits before our body quits. That's what, that's what they help these guys and gals realize. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, you know, we definitely, there's, there's always a place in time for somebody to push you further than you think that you can go. It's like, it's, uh, I mean, I have countless stories of coaches making me do things in practice that I never thought that I could do. And then you get to a point where it's like practice was so difficult that the game becomes easier. Sure. And, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of this paradox, right? Yeah. Um, you talk about the process a lot. What are, when you talk about the process, you defined it in your TED talk as the behaviors that drive the outcomes that we want. What are some of these behaviors? I think a lot of people in, in the peak performance space, sports space, talk about the process a lot. Like what does that, what does that actually mean to you? And how can, how can a coach, a leader, who maybe is not familiar with with the concept, right? They're they're outcome driven versus process driven. What are some things that they can start to focus on in order to uh, take that approach? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat here. I'm gonna peek at my whiteboard, but I think there's eight. I think there's eight things, right? I think number one, you know, you you've got to have a limitless mindset. I mean, you've really got to have a limitless mindset. I mean, you've got to. You've got to really believe in what's possible. And I think people with a limitless mindset, where, where the world sees an obstacle, they see an opportunity, right? Where, where, where most of the world would, would have thought to Smoltz, they, they, thought, they thought that was an obstacle for John to go from a starter to a closer and then back to a starter. John saw it as an opportunity, right? So they shift obstacles to opportunities. I, I think they truly believe that curiosity creates choices. So curiosity to me is a key ingredient. You, you have to, you know, it's, by the way, it's a much more interesting way to live your life, but curiosity can create choices. It can create chances. So, and, and I believe that curiosity, it's all around us, right? I mean, I, I wrote a book about negotiation because I think there are so many people who miss opportunities to negotiate just because they're not curious about what's possible. They're not curious about the fact that so many things in life are negotiable that we don't even think of traditionally as being negotiable. But we've got to be curious enough to unlock these opportunities. I think they, when we talked about this, I think they have a clear purpose. You know, achievement is fleeting. I think we, there's such a big difference between chasing achievement and fulfillment. Big, big difference. Achievement isn't sustainable. Fulfillment. That's what we're really all after, I believe. I really do. I have known, sadly, lots of people with a lot of money who are miserable. And it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. And so when, when people realize, man, it's not about the accolades, it's not about the money, it's not about the car and the big house, that's not what it's all about. That might be a byproduct of it, but if you chase fulfillment, achievement will come. You know, I think discipline to me is another big one, right? When we think about the best of the best, they're disciplined, right? People, I think, and I talked about this a little bit, they, they overestimate talent and underestimate, us underestimate discipline. I haven't ever talked to a coach, you know, a great leader, an incredible athlete 
where that word doesn't show up. Because discipline is about doing what you want most, not what you want right now. Ask my 17, 17, and 18-year-old daughter that. They hear that a lot. It's not about what you want right now. It's about what you want most. Huge. You know, resilience. To me, you know, our ability, Butch Harmon was standing on the range with me once, and I loved, you know, I said, Butch, what's the difference? We were at the Masters. You know, beautiful golf course an hour and a half east of me, and he said, I said, Butch, what's the difference between the athletes out there that are like, you know, playing playing this week in the Masters in a major? and everybody else. And even the guys out there that are, you know, contending to win, right? Like, what do you think's the difference? He goes, oh, they recover from adversity faster than everybody else. They just recover really fast. So resilience to me is paramount. Confidence, right? Confidence, as I said, it doesn't come from our comfort zone. I think that's a big one. I think the best also, they're relational and not transactional. And what do I mean by that? Like, you know, to me, Bobby Cox, was one of the best managers ever in baseball, right? Great, great, you know, great guy. He was a player's manager. I mean, guys would stay in Atlanta and play for less just to play with Bobby because of the clubhouse, the vibe, the environment, the way Bobby led those guys. In part, it was because, number one, it wasn't ever about Bobby, ever. But Bobby was so relational in his approach with his guys. And and, and so I I think it's an interesting story. You know, Bobby's been ejected from 158 big league baseball games. That that's a that's a lot, right? Like you're like, dude, relax. It's like right? a whole Control season. Yourself, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, it was because Bobby would go out when he, when he would see guys that were about to get ejected, he'd run out and put himself between the player and the ump. He'd get ejected because it was always about his relationships with his guys, having their back, keeping them on the field. It wasn't about him. He's like, somebody else can call the signals in, you know, it for for three innings, four innings. I got to keep my my shortstop out there. Right or my or my outfielder out there or my four hole hitter out there, so that's a big one. And then we talked about it briefly, like energy management, massive. You know, to me, when we think about peak performers, they manage their energy more than they manage their time at some level. Awesome, Molly. Thank you so much for for jumping on here. I could talk to you for a couple more hours, I'm sure, but we'll let you get back to back to life. Um, if people want to learn more about your work, where's the best place to connect with you or to check out your new TEDx talk? Yeah, absolutely. So mollyfletcher.com is a great place to go and um, people can check that out. And then we also put a little promo code in here for you. If people go to mollyfletcher.com backslash leadership dash huddles and enter mindset, they get a little reduced rate on our on our group coaching program that we that we offer to folks. But um, but most importantly, um, MollyFletcher.com. We got lots of videos there, and certainly the TED Talk. There's a link to that as well. Awesome. Thanks, Molly. Absolutely. Thanks so much. What's up, guys? Thanks for taking the time to listen to the show today. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes because it's how we spread the word about the show. Also, remember to grab your copy of Locked In, a digital guide on how to unlock world-class resilient performance by heading over to mindshiftlabs.com backslash performance. That's mindshiftlabs.com backslash performance. We'll see you next week. Even if I fall, I can still get bigger. The definition of a champion. Definition.
definition of a champion. Never for titles before survival. The champion. I see.